0: If you have a burdened soul this morning, maybe there's some situation, some circumstance, maybe there's a person, maybe it has a name, and uh, you're just burdened about that today, I'm going to ask you to pray about that. I'm going to ask you, if you can, to come to the altar and kneel and pray. Uh, Your burden may be, as we just celebrated Independence Day, uh, what what a great nation the Lord has given us, but, oh, what a mess we have made. Of what he has given to us. We look around at people that are around us. We have a lot of great people great people in the church, great people in our families, great people in our neighborhoods, great people in our state and our nation. But boy, we also have some people with some real problems and people that don't care about anybody but themselves and they don't care about God and they don't care about doing what's right. And uh, the only hope that they have is. The Lord Jesus. And that's why we pray to the Lord for lost people who are dead in trespasses and sins. When you look around and you think about needs that you have in your life, the Bible says you don't have because you don't ask. And so many times we think that it's up to us and we've got to provide and we've got to make sure that we do it when we have a Father who is willing to bless us in so many areas far beyond what we could ever ask or think and then when you think about what we have talked about before that we exist for the glory of God how many of you would like to see the glory of God just shining in your life flowing through your life dominating your thoughts dominating your motivation wouldn't that be wonderful well there's only one way that's going to happen and that's for you to focus your mind on it and to pray about it and so uh, if you know somebody that's uh, got a a need or is struggling or sick. Uh, We know several people that are like that and we'll certainly pray for them. You know people that are grieving, you know people that are just going through a storm. You can certainly gather around them if you want to. You can shoot them a text and let them know that you're praying for them. And you can also come to the altar on their behalf. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Come join me here at the front and let's spend some time with the Lord, okay? And don't let anybody come alone, please, okay? If you see somebody coming, come up and uh, join with them. Gather around somebody. Everybody where they need to be? Let's pray. Lord, we pause in this service because we're doing now what sometimes we forget to do, what seems so unnatural, what we do sometimes just simply as a last resort when it's the first thing that we ought to do, and that is to come to you. Lord, we've got people that are praying today Praying with people, praying for people, maybe praying about a situation in their own life. We don't know every situation. We don't have to know every situation because the truth is, you know every situation. Would you comfort hearts? Would you bless? Would you infuse them with power and strength? Would you give them wisdom? Would you give them good counsel? Would you protect them, Lord? Put guardrails around the road of their life so that they don't go off, uh, uh, off of the road. Pray that you'd give them power so that as they go up the mountains, they find that the strength that they have is not their own. Would you refresh their souls so that as they cross the desert of life, they find the oasis of grace the well that you have dug for them at that particular time that they can drink from. Would you take those who are weak and staggering and they don't think they can take another step and show them the table that you have spread for them and the food that you have for them that will sustain their soul and keep them going. I pray, Father, that you would heal those who are sick pray that you would comfort the grieving I pray that you would save the lost, those people that are on our hearts that are going to die and go to hell if you don't intervene please, please intervene and we pray Father that as we think about the fact that we are closer to the end of our life than we've ever been before oh Lord my prayer is and our prayer is That you might give us the grace that we would finish and finish well. And we pray, Father, that you would bless this time together. And we pray that you would bless our understanding and our comprehension and our application of your word. Holy Spirit, our hearts are open to you. We are yielded to you today. Do what pleases you to the exaltation of Christ, the presentation of the gospel, and the equipping of the saints. And we pray this, Lord, that we, like Daniel this morning, might be ready for whatever we encounter this afternoon or tomorrow or this next week. Thank you, Lord, for your love, grace, and mercy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's do something we haven't done for a while since Mother's Day. Turn to the book of Exodus. And let's go to chapter 39. You say, well, we didn't cover those others. Well, there's a reason for that. We have uh, looked at so, uh, so much at the furnishings and the tabernacle and where we left off and coming uh, to this point, it's a, a repetition of all of those things. So you uh, certainly feel free to go back and look at those and study those and uh, remember that they all point to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, that's a, a wonderful thing. And they talk about redemption. But today, as we get down to uh, verse... uh, Well, it's actually uh, chapter 39. And uh, we look down at verse 32. We kind of are going to take a few weeks to end this up and wrap this up. Now, one of the things that I read and that a commentator said that I think is worth noting... Is worship is much more important to God than it is to us. How do we know that? Because in this book of Exodus... About one-third of the book is about nothing but the worship of God. How to do it, with what to do it, all of those kind of things. Where to do it, when to do it, all of that. And uh, so uh, we look at that and see that where we would skim over those things. Oh, I've kind of, you know, seen that before. We need to remember those things and stop and think about them. worship is very, very important to the Lord the other thing I think that we have to make note of is it takes time it takes time the Christian life and walking with God takes time now we want to be just kinda zapped and you know we love those stories and those experiences where like lightning seems to strike and everything changes that happens sometimes sometimes but in the history of Christianity those things are very rare compared to everything else. The norm, normal way God works is growing us through time and through experience, and through uh, the ingest, ingestion of His Word and uh, those type of things. It takes time to grow. When we think about planting a tree, it takes time for the tree to grow, right? My experience has been the faster the tree grows the shorter lifespan and uh, the less reliability it has. When they grow slow, they seem to do better. And uh, as we think about um, when a a woman finds out that she's expecting a baby, we don't want the baby right away. It takes nine months for that baby to grow. And when that baby is born, we don't say, Welcome, uh, here's your driver's license. It takes time for them to be able to drive. And we don't say to a 16-year-old, go ahead and start having all the children that you uh, want to have and plan to have. We say, no, you probably ought to wait a little bit and get married and do that type of thing. I mean, life is a series of events where we wait and where we have to be patient. And we're not always ready today for what we're going to experience later on. And I think that as we watch Israel as they come out of Egypt, Do they go straight to the promised land? No. They go to the Red Sea. And at the Red Sea, they're terrorized by the coming of the Egyptian army, and there's nothing but water ahead of them. And so did they learn something through that experience? I guarantee you that they did. Maybe not enough, but they did learn something. And as they go through the time at at Sinai, I mean, understand that when they came across the Red Sea and then they camped, at Mount Sinai, in that mountain range, Horeb there, they've been there quite a while now. They didn't just hurry up and leave and go. They had things they had to do. The Ten Commandments had to be given. And they had that awful, horrible, golden calf experience. You remember that. And now they get the instruction for the tabernacle. And then they've got to build the tabernacle. And they've got to put all of it together. And so we get to this point to where we find in verse 32 some refreshing words. Read along with me, Exodus 39, 32. Thus all the work of the tabernacle, uh, pardon me, of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. Sigh of relief. Finally, finally, they got it finished. But here's a good word too. And this is unusual, but what a blessing. And the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Finally. They finally got something right. Finally. Took time. Took time, but they did it. And this is the testimony of Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They finished it, but they didn't just finish it. They finished it. The way God said to finish. Now that is how you want to end your life. Everybody's going to finish their life. Everybody. You're closer to it now than you have ever been. Everybody's going to finish. But will you finish it like this? According to all that the Lord had commanded. Now there's the key. And there's where the rub is. And there's where the battle is. But at least at this point, Israel... Got this right. And it says to emphasize it. So they did. I'm in verse 33. And they brought the tabernacle to Moses. they have been building it. Working on it. It wasn't just Moses doing it. Uh, You know all those people that were named. And all the craftsmen. So they bring all of the parts. All of the furnishings. All of those things to Moses. The tent and all its furnishings. Its clasps its boards, its bars, its pillars, and its sockets, the covering of the ram skins dyed red, the covering of the badger skins, and the veil of the covering as the ark of the testimony with its poles and the mercy seat, the table, all its utensils, the showbread, the pure gold, lampstand with its uh, lamps, the lamps that were set in order, and all uh, its utensils and the oil for uh, light, and the gold altar, the anointing oil, and the sweet incense, the screen for the tabernacle door, the bronze altar, its grate of bronze, its poles, and all its utensils, the laver with its base, The uh, hangings of the court, its pillars and its sockets, and the screen for the court gate, its cords and its pegs, all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle, for the tent of meeting, and the garments of ministry. That's what the priest would wear to uh, minister in the holy place. The holy garments for Aaron, uh, the priest, and his son's garments to minister as priest, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did all the work. Then Moses looked over all the work, kind of an inspection thing as they brought it. And indeed, they had done it. Moses was skeptical too, wasn't he? They did it as the Lord had commanded, just so they had done. And then it ends, and Moses blessed them. Now, let's think about that phrase, and Moses blessed them. We all want to have a blessed life. And Moses, the patriarch here, is blessing Israel. Now, that hadn't always been the case. There have been some times when Moses didn't bless them. He did anything but bless them, especially after the golden calf incident. But at this point, Moses now looks over everything and he blesses it. You say, well, it says up there that they brought all the stuff to Moses because they had finished. And then it uh, has all of those names of all of those things. That's Moses' way of saying they did it and here's the proof. Look what all they brought. They didn't leave anything out. They did it all like they said. And I even looked at it again. It's repeated that he looked at it. And um, it was all there. It was all there. And it was all done the way the Lord said to do it. That's, that's the point. And what did they get? A blessing. Now, if you look, kind of the topic sentence, or probably there's more than one. It should be the topic sentences, if I were to do this right. But you get the idea of uh, this scripture is verse 32. Thus, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. That's that's the first. If we were to look at this uh, passage of scripture like a sandwich, that's the top piece of bread, and then the concluding sentence is: It says, "Then Moses looked over all the work; he inspected it, and indeed they had done it as the Lord had commanded." Just so they had done it, and Moses blessed them. So we find they finished, they did everything, and then they blessed it, and then the rest is kind of in the middle. And that blessing is really what we want. The Bible says we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And we seek a blessing, we want a blessing, and we want to live the blessed life. And uh, Israel has had those glimpses and had those times when they saw the blessing of God. Certainly, when they were spared from some of the plagues, that was a blessing. Egypt is hit, Israel is spared in the land of Goshen. Certainly, the Lord's provision as he took care of them, whenever the plagues that would hit everybody and uh, they had the provision of the the Passover lamb and that type of thing, whenever it came to the point to where mighty Pharaoh, who thought he was God, comes to the point of saying that the Lord is God and get out of here, go, you're free, that, that was certainly a blessing. The Red Sea was certainly a blessing. But let's also think about all of those other times that would happen in between. What about those times when Israel doubted? There were those times even in Egypt when As excited as they were when Moses came along, their excitement waned. Whenever Moses confronts Pharaoh and all of a sudden Israel's work gets harder, not easier. Moses is to blame for that, the people said. Remember that? Remember when they got out of Egypt and they were all so excited about everything... Until they get to the Red Sea and they see the army of Pharaoh coming. And now all of a sudden Moses is a bad guy and the people's faith just takes a dive. Then they go through the Red Sea and then they're dancing and they're singing and tambourines. And oh man, it was just absolutely wonderful until they don't have water. And this is just the way it goes for kind of about 40 years. That is a picture of how we tend to live our lives, up and down, off and on, forgetting what God has done, never putting everything together. When uh, our son Taylor was getting his education, he would study certain things in English, about grammar, about writing, about structure, all of those kind of good things. And then when he would write a paper in history, he promptly forgot everything that he had learned. What does English have to do with history? Well, if you're writing a paper, it has everything to do. It has to do with what you read because you were reading it in English and if it wasn't written properly, you wouldn't understand it. And when you write, you're supposed to carry over what you learned in one class into another class. Any of you have any problems with that? And sometimes we do that with God. The things that He taught us in English... We don't carry over into history and math and other things. And we think that everything just is a stand-alone event in our life when actually God intends for them to be synthesized. What did God teach you when you were 18? Is that relevant for today? Maybe not the circumstance But the lesson that you learned is relevant for today. You are not to abandon what he taught you just because the pressure is off. But you find that over and over in Israel. Okay, okay, we got it now, God. All that the Lord says we will do... Are you thirsty? I'm thirsty. Have you seen any water lately? I haven't seen any water lately. Moses brought us out here to die. You mean there weren't enough graves in Egypt? What kind of a deal is this? I can't believe that he had done this. Oh, I wish we were back in Egypt. Get it? That's the way you live. That's the way I live. That's the way we live if we are not careful. Careful to take everything and put it all together. What did you learn so many years ago that you can apply today, that fits into today, that keeps you going today, that builds your faith today? This is what Israel had so much trouble with. And they were so impulsive about things. They didn't stop and think. A God who took the time to bring us out of Egypt and send us Moses, a deliverer, Well, surely he's going to provide water. Surely he's going to provide for food. Surely he thought this whole thing through. I mean, look at the magnificent plan he had to get us out of Egypt. That should have never happened. And yet it did. And a God who could think that through, a God who know what plagues who knew what plagues to bring on Egypt to attack their gods and their deities and to exalt himself. Surely that God has thought about the fact we're going to be in a desert area. Surely he has thought about the fact that we're going to be over here by the sea and the armies are going to come. Pharaoh's going to want us back. Surely he's thought about all of that, but they didn't. Life was just a series of things that happened that had no... Um, just an isolated incident, let's say. Just another isolated incident where God did something and they never put it all together. How are you doing on that? How are you doing on taking what you read in the morning if you have a quiet time? How are you taking that and applying it when the boss is putting the heat on you? You say, well, it wasn't relevant for that. I, I beg to differ. The Word of God is always relevant. And it fed your soul. And you're supposed to take those things, maybe not what you read that exact morning, but maybe something you read two years ago fits for today. What are you doing with those things? Well, I read through the Bible in a year. That's great. That's great. But is the Word getting into you, and is it changing the way you think, changing the way you act, changing the way you react so that you can begin to synthesize, homogenize all of the things that God has done and begin to apply them day by day by day, week by week by week, month by month by month, year by year by year, and decade by decade by decade so that when you finish, you can say, I did all that the Lord told me to do through His Word Right? And when you can do that, you can do it with the blessing of the Lord. Now, that's what Paul meant when he said, I fought the fight. Well, doesn't everybody? I guess you could say they do. But the way Paul framed it, he said, I have fought the good fight, not just any fight, the good fight, and I finished the race, and I'm ready to be offered as a drink offering because the Lord has laid up a crown for me and all who love his appearing. There's a difference between finishing and finishing well, finishing right on that. And so I want you to think about some things here. What was different about this time and what brought on the blessing of Moses instead of a curse from God? Well, consider this. Number one, when they built this tabernacle and put it together, For the first time in their lives, remember they were slaves in Egypt. For the first time in their lives, they were doing something out of love rather than the lash of the whip. Now, it wasn't that they had never done anything before. Many people think that the Jews built the pyramids that you can still see today. But regardless of whether they built the pyramids or not, they were working and they worked every day of their life and I'll guarantee you they were very very productive Pharaoh was building an empire building cities and building stuff that he could revel in and glory in and he said and you better get it done because if they didn't do it they didn't do it because they loved Pharaoh they didn't do it because they respected Pharaoh they didn't do it because they cared anything at all about Egypt and Egyptian culture and Egyptian religion and archaeology they weren't thinking we'll build things that will last for thousands of years. No, there's only one thing they had on their mind, build it or else. And if they didn't, they felt the lash of the whip, right? But there was something different when they were building this tabernacle. When they were forming that gold into those lampstands. When they were cutting that wood to be that table for the showbread. When they were building a box of certain dimensions that was going to be the Ark of the Covenant. When they were making those curtains and embroidering them, as the Lord said. When they were making those gold sockets, all of those things. Everything was done out of an act of love and gratitude for the Lord. Do you remember how they gave all that material? Moses said, we need to take up an offering, and they started bringing things in, and they were so joyous and so exuberant about this, so ready to have a new start that they brought it to the point where the workers and Moses had to say, that's enough, you, you guys are overloading us. Why? Because they were doing it out of love. And have you, a noti- have you ever noticed how much more you accomplish out of love than you do out of the lash? Have you ever noticed how much more you are willing to do when you just simply love someone as opposed to when you feel like you have to? Case in point for you married people there's a big difference between buying a present for your spouse because you have to and you're afraid not to. Don't want to pay the price. I'm going to look bad. It's going to be really, really cold if I don't big difference between I love him or I love her so much and they would love this and a gift that is given out of love doesn't have to be expensive does it a gift that's given out of love doesn't have to be extravagant or anything like that because it's the love that is the real gift so what was Israel really giving God I think God wants a magnificent tent. Seriously? They were doing all of this and fashioning all of these things out of love for him. Not because they had to, but because they wanted to. Not because they were feeling the pressure of doing it, but because they had the motivation of love to do it. In the Vietnam War, my dad worked with uh, draft dodgers. And to give my dad, that combat veteran, Purple Heart recipient of the Korean War, now as a chaplain in the Army in Vietnam, to give him draft dodgers? That wasn't a, something he asked for. He didn't like those people. He didn't respect those people. He had no use for them. In fact, I remember him telling me one time, if you ever are drafted and you run to Canada, I will come find you. And they give that guy, Mr. Military, they give that guy the assignment of working with those people. You know what he did? He started preaching the gospel to them. In one year, they baptized somewhere around 50 of those draft dodgers. Most of them went back and said, I've done wrong, I'll take my court-martial, and then I'll do whatever I have to do to get an honorable discharge. Some of them even went into the ministry. The CEO of the stockade area there at Fort Riley, Kansas had said something about shutting down the chapel. Rumor came around and my dad's assistant said, I'll find it out. And he went to go see the CO's assistant. And he said, I heard that they are going to shut down the chapel. The CO's assistant said, no, he's scared to death to touch that. There's something happening there. Okay? Now, my dad is the one that as a result of those experiences, when they ended the draft... He said, well, that's the most foolish thing they've ever done. An all-volunteer army will never work. You know what? It's worked really, really well. Very well. Magnificently well. To the point that my dad, before he died, made the statement, I guess I was wrong about the all-volunteer army. He goes, it's the best it's ever been. And I said, dad, you know why? And he said, why? And I said, because in Vietnam, you had a lot of people there who didn't want to be there. So get high, mess up, kill an officer, desert, whatever you have to do. But the army that we have today, those young men and women signed up knowing what they were going to do. And they did it out of love for their country. And when you love your country, you will pay any price. Isn't that right? I want you to apply that spiritually. These people had worked for Pharaoh, but they didn't love Pharaoh. They worked for the glory of Egypt, but they didn't love Egypt. They did it because they were forced to. The law and the lash of the whip said that they had to, and there was no love in it at all. Why was it different for this tabernacle? They did it out of love rather than the lash of the whip. Number two. This is a work of grace and forgiveness. These people thought that after the golden calf experience, that they would never be able to have any kind of a relationship with God, any kind of blessing from God. And uh, you can imagine the thoughts that would go through their mind. He brought us out of Egypt. He saw us through the Red Sea. And look what we've done. Oh, this is it. We're going to die out in the desert. This is it. He's through with us. He's done with us. How could he ever love us? How could he ever accept us? How could he ever receive our worship? How could we ever be what he has planned for us to be after what we have done? But they forgot that God is a God of grace. And God is a God who forgives those who repent. And this was a work that they did because whenever God came and said, okay, in spite of what you have done, In spite of how you have violated my word and my law. In spite of how you have blasphemed my name. We're going to start over and we're going to build a place of worship now. Can you imagine how that must have felt when the Spirit of God began to stir in the hearts of those craftsmen. And Moses began to give instruction. And rather than being forced to do something, they did it because... Not only they loved, but because they had been forgiven. And Jesus put it this way He said, Those who are forgiven much will love much. And if you have a problem loving God, if you have a problem loving Jesus, it's because you don't realize how much He has forgiven you. And when you don't love Jesus the way you want to, there's a little bit of pride somewhere in your heart that says, You know, God got a good deal when He got me, I was a bargain. Isn't he lucky to have me? Isn't he fortunate that I am on his side? And you don't understand who you were, where you were, where you were headed, how deep your sin was, how rotten you really are, and how the price that Christ paid on the cross was so incredibly, incredibly expensive and priceless. And yet he did that. To pay for your dirty, stinking, rotten sin, every one of them, even the little ones that you laugh about. And when you understand you've been forgiven, nobody has to tell you to go to work. When you understand that you're forgiven, nobody has to tell you you ought to love Jesus. When you understand how you've been forgiven, you don't have to have anybody talk to you about brokenness and surrender before the Lord because you're already broken and surrendered before the Lord because you know how great how great a sinner you are and how great a Savior that He is. And these people understood that. And when they thought about that altar where bulls and goats and lambs would be altered, that bronze altar that, uh, that would be uh, uh, part of their redemption, they went through the golden calf experience, you know why? So that they would understand there was a reason why that animal was offered. You are a horrible sinner. Look how deep your sin is gone. You made a golden calf and said, Behold the God that brought you out of Egypt. How do I get forgiven? I've offended God. How do I get forgiven? You need a great sacrifice for this. And can you imagine as they were building, as they were pounding that brass, that bronze, as they were putting it all together, that the thought would come to their mind, the sacrifice for my sin will be upon this altar one day. Isn't it wonderful that God has made a way for us to be forgiven? Isn't it wonderful that God has made a way for a sacrifice to be offered so that we don't have to die, but an innocent animal will die in our place? Don't you know that that motivated them? Don't you know that as they built the Ark of the Covenant, they thought, I will never lay eyes on this again, but the high priest will. And when the high priest does on the Day of Atonement, he will go in and he'll offer the blood of that goat and sprinkle it on that mercy seat so that I will receive the mercy of God. And that motivated them to work more and more and more because they were working out of the aspect of forgiveness. Not just to build a nation, not just to have a religion, not just because, well, somebody's got to do it. Nothing like that at all. Forgiven people working for the glory of God, in the grace and the power of God, because they saw atonement and forgiveness in everything that they did. God could have left us, but he didn't. God could have abandoned us in Egypt. He could have abandoned us in the desert at the Golden Calf, but he didn't. Forgiveness motivated them. Number three, everything they did before for 400 years in Egypt was significant historically, historically significant, but it was accomplished for the king of Egypt now what they were doing was for the real king the king of kings and the lord of lords everything that they had done before was for a man who sat on a throne arrogantly thinking that he was God I am Pharaoh I am a descendant of the sun god you must worship and obey me and they had no choice in the matter but now, Moses has given them instruction on something to build for the real king. Everything that they would build in Egypt would pass away in its significance. There's no real Egyptian culture now that is based on. What happened in Exodus, but there is a Jewish culture now that is based on what they had in Exodus. And we as believers, we find our theology in the Old Testament because the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And you read the book of Hebrews and the book of Exodus and the others, and you see it's Jesus, it's the accomplishment of everything God planned and everything He promised in the Old Testament comes to pass. In Christ, and here we see Christ sitting on the throne, ruling and reigning and one day returning and the glory of all he has prepared in heaven and eye hath not seen and ear hath not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. And I hope that's you today. And so everything you do here on earth, every battle you fight, you fight in any battles? Every storm you endure. Every desert you cross. Every betrayal that you have to put up with. And every cross you have to bear. Why do you do it? Well, like these people, you do it because of love, not simply the lash. You do it because you've been Forgiven, and you love the one that has forgiven you, and you are doing it for your king, the king that will never be off of his throne, the king that will never fail, the king that will never be overthrown, the king that will never be impeached, the king that no one will ever replace because his rule and reign is forever, and it is final, and his name is King Jesus. And he's worthy. Did you put a check in the offering this morning in that box out there? He's worthy of more than that. Did you give him some time this last week to do some ministry, maybe working with children? And by the way, thank you for those of you who have been doing summer activities on Wednesday nights for our kids. Thank you for those of you who work in the nursery. Thank you for those who teach Sunday school. Thank you for those of you who work uh, during Awana and those type of things. Thank you for all of that. But I want to tell you something. You didn't expend anything and you didn't sacrifice anything because he is worthy of far more than that. When we come in here to worship this morning, for people who would practice with the choir and rehearse in the orchestra, he's worthy of more than that. For the time that you think about, that you spend in here, thinking about his word, meditating upon his word, he's worth more than that because our king is the real king the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And these people were motivated to do all of this and to do it well and to do it right because they weren't just doing it for Pharaoh who would be dead in a few years. They were doing it for Yahweh who rules and reigns forever. Their motivation is completely different as they build these things. And then when we think about all that they built in Egypt. If they built the pyramids, isn't that something? It's a tomb. All they did was build a place for the glory of man, somebody who died, and they put it in there, and they put his body in there, and it rotted, and it would be corrupted, and it would be nothing but just a mummy for archaeologists to find later on. But oh, this tent... This tent that they were building symbolized Jesus. This tent that they built, every ritual and every piece of of furniture, talked about a Messiah, the coming one who would forgive all of our sins, the one with whom we will live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And in the tabernacle was truth. In the tabernacle was life. In the tabernacle, there was an ongoing thing. That tent would last for generation after generation after generation until Solomon built the temple. Oh, it would be something. Because what they were investing in, because they were doing it for Jesus, they were investing in eternity. Everything you get for work is going to pass away. I mean, you get up in the morning and you shower and get ready and get dressed and you eat breakfast and you go to work. Why? So you can make money. Why do I make money? So I can buy food and clothes and all of that and then be healthy enough to go back to work the next day so that I can make money for what? So I can eat it up and use it up so I can make more money and then it's just an endless cycle. Have you ever read Ecclesiastes? Only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. And you and I have the opportunity to build up something that will last forever in the power of the Holy Spirit as we serve our King. It doesn't go away. It doesn't pass away. It matters, and it carries on for generation after generation after generation. And then number four. What was different about this and what brought blessing? They worked a lot harder in Egypt, but it didn't bring blessing. They worked a lot harder in Egypt, but all that got them was, oh, if you could do that, you can do more. Can you imagine? But there was something different about this. They finished it. It was all done right. And it had the blessing of Moses, which was equivalent to the blessing of God on it. What was different? I want you to think about all of their life in Egypt and even the golden calf. Who thought those things up? Whose idea was it to make Israel into slaves? Man's. Whose idea was it for them to work on the projects that they worked on all of those 400 years? Man's. Whose idea was it for them to gather straw for the bricks when Moses confronted Pharaoh? Mans. Whose idea was it to keep them in bondage instead of setting them free? Mans. Whose idea was it to say, we've made a mistake, let's go get them and bring them back? Mans. Whose idea was it to whine and complain? by the sea saying, we're all going to die, why are we out here like this? Man's. Whose idea was it to complain and want to stone Moses when they didn't have water or food in the desert? Man's. I mean, think about it. Whose idea was it 40 years later not to cross the Jordan because uh, people over there are just too big and the cities are too well fortified for us? Man's. But there's one thing that was different. The tabernacle was not initiated by man. The work on the tabernacle, the rituals of the tabernacle, the materials of the tabernacle, none of that was initiated by man. It was initiated by God. And what they were doing when they built the tabernacle is they were doing God's work in God's way because it was according to God's plan he initiated it. And so often we find ourselves doing the best we can and doing everything we could think of when God is saying, you're missing it. Whatever is born of flesh, no matter how well-intentioned, is flesh. But what's born of the Spirit is Spirit, and my words are Spirit, and they are life, Jesus said. We've got to find out what the Word of God says. And we've got to do what the Word of God says to do because God's got a plan for you and God's got a plan for me and God's got a plan for us together as a body that we've got to do uh, what He wants us to do and it has to be initiated by Him. If it's not, we're going back into slavery. But if it's initiated by God, we're going into freedom. So this was initiated and instituted by God rather than man. So when you think about all of the stuff that they did and all the work they'd ever done, this was the one that was the crowning achievement far above anything else because it was for the glory of God. I want to ask you a question. If we think about what we were talking about, if you did everything you did out of love instead of the lash of the whip, if you did what you did because you were forgiven and it was by grace and not by force, If you were the one that you were doing this because of something that had been put together for the glory of God and not the glory of man and uh, for your own self-achievement and all of those things, how different would your life be? And if we did everything that was initiated by God instead of just the best we could think of, how different would it be? How would it impact our church? How would it impact our society? How would it impact our family? How would it impact our work? And more importantly, how would it impact you? And how would it change your life? Heavenly Father, as we think about this today, we're thankful for the example of the Israelis in the desert. And we're thankful that they finished what they started. We're not very good at that, Lord. There are a lot of us that have a calling on our life from decades ago we've never surrendered to. There are a lot of us that have had things put on our heart years ago that we never got around to it. There are convictions that we have abandoned and laid by the wayside. There are all kinds of things we just, ah, it doesn't matter, it's, that was for then, this is for now, and we've never put it all together. And we're not going to finish well. And so, Lord, I pray that you would change us and let us learn from this today. You have a better way, the ultimate way. So for those who have never trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, today, Lord, may they be convicted of their sin. Today, Lord, may they see that Jesus paid for that sin on the cross of Calvary May they see today that Jesus rose from the dead and that he is Lord and he rules and he reigns and may they trust him as the full payment for their sin. May they confess him as Lord and may they live for his glory. And may every believer here learn from this situation today in Exodus that these four things are the way we are supposed to live so that we end the life with a blessing like the children of Israel did in this situation. Help us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us, Lord. And motivate us like never before for your glory and honor. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you.